Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. This is from the Epistle reading. It is the Epistle reading, actually, for today, from the fifth chapter of uh, the Epistle to the Ephesians. As God's favorite children, you must be like him. Now, first of all, let me explain that I'm reading from a somewhat different translation than you used to hear it. Uh, this was a translation done by Monsignor Ronald Knox back at the beginning of the 20th century. It's an excellent translation. But that means, therefore, and what people forget is that the Orthodox study Bible of the first thousand years was in Latin, not in Greek. You know, we hear so much about the Greek says this, the Greek says that, but not for us. Yeah. And sometimes that was blessing, and sometimes that was curse. Sometimes they got things mixed up, sometimes they got them wrong. But given the fact that every major heresy in the first thousand years came out of the Greeks, other than, you know, that unitarian approach to the trinity that rome has i I would seem the track record is reasonably fine so it's it sounds a bit more blunt it sounds a bit starker as god's favorite children you must be like him now we're used to jesus saying be perfect as your father and heaven isn't perfect and this is what he means you must be like his favorite children. Order your lives in charity upon the model of that charity which Christ showed us. You know, I, I, you, you run into people often, and they're very sincere, godly, good people. They'll say, Father, I just don't know what to do about a situation. Uh, I don't know what to do about this or that, or how should I respond to, to this or that, and you know, that means they have apparently never picked up the New Testament and read it. Because we're given very explicit instructions as to how we're supposed to live our lives. So, order your lives in caritas is actually the word in Latin. Caritas, not charity. For us, charity means throwing something in the Salvation Army pot, uh, maybe going down and working at... Uh, the soup kitchen once a week, uh, helping out with immigration, but whatever. I mean, these are things we think of when we think of charity. But it's not what the word in either Greek or Latin means. Order your lives in caritas. So how do you order your life completely in charity, in caritas? You live charitably. You live in order to live for others whether you're talking about your own family, your co-workers, your friends, people you meet on the street. Uh, I have ministered in places where, you know, we're very, very poor. In fact, I wouldn't send my kids out on the street without an adult with them. Uh, And of course, you were constantly, as soon as you showed up in a collar, besieged. So the night before, my wife and I would make sandwiches, and I would carry them in my pockets. 
And when somebody hit me for money, I said, you know, silver and gold have I none, but hey, how about a tuna sandwich? You'd be amazed the number of people who were very insulted at being offered a tuna fish sandwich, you know, because that's not what they wanted. That was one of the ways we separated the sheep from the goats kind of thing. Those who really, you know, we should be helping and those, those who didn't. But it means that you're always prepared to respond on that model of charity that Christ showed us. When he gave himself up on our behalf, a sacrifice breathing out fragrance as he offered it to God. A sacrifice breathing out fragrance as he offered himself to God, almost as the incense that we offer on his, to him on his behalf is a fragrance. So we are prepared, even if necessary, if charity needed it, if caritas needed it, to give up our own lives. If it took that to act charitably. As for debauchery and impurity of every kind and covetousness, there must be no whisper of it among you. It would ill become your business. I love that. It would ill become your business. Your business is to give thanks to God. Your business is to give thanks to God. And if anything gets out, then uh, your business is going to suffer. Because people, you know, even when you stand there and give thanks to God, will look at you and think hypocrite. I mean, look at the nightmare the Roman church has gone through. Uh, the, the nightmare we have gone in some places. I mean, it, it's the same everywhere. It doesn't make any difference what church you're in. It's just nobody out there knows we exist, so we're not in the, uh, the gun site. Uh, or any, you know, girls' volleyball team or men's, boys' baseball, whatever. I mean... You know, it, it just happens. It's, it's sin. It's called sin. But because we've forgotten sin, we, we stand around, you know, wondering, scratching our heads and saying, why in heaven's name do these things happen? Well, it's because of sin. But if you had interviewed, you know, somebody after the shooting at Parkland who had said it is sin, I can guarantee you they wouldn't have gotten on, on TV. They would have been ignored. Okay, another, another Jesus nut, get him off Get him off the set. You know, we don't want him around there. Um, debauchery and impurity, he's talking about sexual sins. In some places, it's even more, you know, you know. Sex with somebody you're not married to is fornication. It doesn't matter whether it's gay or straight. Sex with somebody else when you're married to someone else is adultery. It doesn't matter whether it's gay or straight. It's sin. It is the breaking of the rules and of the law. And when people look at this, again, the response is, God, what a bunch. You know, we've gone from the early Christian pagans saying, my, how these Christians love one another, to people today saying, my, how these Christians love one another. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. It if our ministry is to thank God and bring glory to Christ, if our business, rather, as he says, is that thing, then these things bring shame and embarrassment upon 
the Holy Trinity, upon Christ, and what have you. You know, look what happens every time some major Christian figure falls. You know, we find out he's been keeping a mistress for whatever, uh, but only after his wife files for divorce, and they kept everything very quiet. Uh, you know, or, you know, look, <laughs> there was something on Facebook that compared the house Billy Graham lived in, who was a man I had a great deal of respect for, and the house that Joel Olstein lives in which looks like the, the, the palace at Versailles. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. You know. Even how we live is a message to the world. If people drive my home, through, at least past my home, they can say, God, he's a bum. Uh, but, you know, uh, but, you know, what, what, kind, what, are we, what message are we making? A lot of that came from the immigrant mentality. People came here to this country, any kind of immigrant, doesn't matter who, uh, worked hard, were successful, wanted to show they were successful, and so built these Georgian, Georgian or Edwardian or Victorian homes uh, and, you know, showed off. Well, a little bit, I can, I can understand some of that, you know. You killed yourself trying to pull your family out of the gutter. Yeah, I get that. The problem is we forget that what people see us do, if we proclaim to be Christian, is what they think God is all about. There are people who worship me, and every priest will have this. I mean, everybody's got his groupies. And rather than focusing on God... They get all wrapped up in the person of whoever the priest is. There are also people who would cheerfully kill me just to balance it out. But, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, people get fixated on the person. Which is why you often have troubles in a parish when one priest is transferred out and another priest is transferred in. Sometimes it takes several guys to settle the whole thing down because everybody was used to dear old loving Father Dionysius, you know, uh, and can't handle the change, which means they're not worshiping God. They're there for the wrong reasons. They're there because they like Father Dionysius, not because they're in love with Jesus Christ. But it is very, very hard to get people to see this. You must live as men native to the light. Where the light has its effect, all its goodness and holiness and truth, your lives must be the manifestation of God's will. You must live as men native to the light. It's sometimes we act like people who have lived many, much of our lives in, the cave, in a cave and then suddenly come out and, you know, it's, it's, it's like blinding. Uh, especially if we have some kind of genuine kind of... of of conversion experience. I've had that. I've had that several times. And it always seems like, my God, I don't belong here. You know, it burns, it burns. <laughs> you know, it's just, just, you know. Uh, but we must act because by virtue of our baptism, we are natives to the light. The uncreated light of God surrounds us all the time doesn't glow, doesn't show necessarily, or anything like that, and I'm not suggesting that it should. 
In fact, if you started walking around here glowing, I would check out the closest nuclear plant. But you have to live as though it was natural, as though it was perfectly normal that you were loving and kind and caring and showed a bit of the light of God in you. You're a little bit of the light of the God. Because he goes on and he says, all for the thankless deeds men do in the dark. As for the, I'm sorry. As for the thankless deeds men do in the dark, you must not take any part in them. Rather, your conduct must be a rebuke to them. Their secret actions are too shameful even to bear speaking of. It is the light that rebukes such things and shows them up for what they are. Only light shows up. That is the meaning of the words, Awake, thou sleepest, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. We sing that at Easter. It's part of the Easter readings. Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. So, thankless deeds men do in the dark. They're shameful, they're secret. It is the light that rebukes such things and shows them up for what they are. There's another line that Jesus says that at the last judgment, every idle word that we have spoken will be shouted from the rooftops. I plan on being somewhat embarrassed because I have made judgments about people and muttered them under my breath or to someone else. Uh which not only is wrong, but usually is wrong, because I found out later I made a misjudgment and uh, you know, actually said something about somebody that was not actually true. So, all of that, you know, uh, your conduct must be a rebuke to them because of their secret actions. You know, there are canons in the church that state that if a presbyter or priest is accused, and this goes back to the days when the bishop celebrated everything so the presbyter is assisted him. If the, if the presbyter is even accused falsely, say, of, you know, groping somebody or all the things that come out now and that sort of thing, because there's nothing new about anything, uh, even if he is accused falsely, he must step down and refrain from offering the Eucharistic sacrifice. Now you might think, whoa, come on, we it's not true, we know it's not true, we have proof it's not true. The reason is for something that we have forgotten. Shame and embarrassment probably drive more people out of the church than arrogance. When the church will not admit to its faults or the things that go on within it, people simply dismiss us as having absolutely no credibility. So even though it's a bummer for the priest, he must step aside because people have enough rocks to throw at us, and we don't, they don't need any more ammunition. Now, unfortunately, a lot of bishops have seemed to forget this <laughs> over the centuries. Um, you know, I mean, we, we had 
a man who was going to be appointed as assistant bishop in a large diocese who had spent time in prison because on the way to a parish visitation he stopped off, got drunk, and groped a woman on a videotape. And so he went to jail for three months and was removed from his diocese. And some, the, you know, the Metropolitan got the bright idea, well, I've got this big diocese because I'm, I'm the Metropolitan, but I'm still the Bishop of California, what have you. I'll have Bishop Dimitri come out and assist me. The next day, we had representatives from everything from Alcoholics Anonymous to Save the Children to whatever perched on the doorstep of the cathedral <laughs> carrying signs, you know. This would never have happened in, in Damascus. So, I mean, it just never occurred to his eminence that this was going to be a problem. And people in the diocese were saying they were refused to let in their churches. Now, that was a bit of a downer for the bishop, whom I personally happened to like, but he, he, he messed himself up, you know, and, uh, you know, we based, and, you know, I wouldn't mind being paid $52,000 a year to be retired. I could live with that, really good. Uh, that's what happens, you see. And we don't think. We don't think when we go out and get ourselves reasonably well plastered uh, or, you know, cause, cause a, a, an argument or a stir in a bar or a store or a restaurant or whatever, that there will be people there who may know we are Christians and will judge the church based on what we do. This is why we must be careful. This is how we have to be careful. And even try to think proactively. When I was young and insufferably stupid, although I thought I knew absolutely everything there was to know about being a priest, I received a phone call from a young woman in my first parish saying she had to talk to me. Could I please come over and see her? You know, it was about nine o'clock at night, and I, you know, I don't function well in darkness, but okay, okay, fine, I can get over there. And I walk into the house, and she's in this, whatever it was, uh, and had a picture of Bloody Mary's ready, and offered me one. And I thought, oh, crap. They told us about this, and I completely forgot. So I sat as far away from her as possible, refused any drinks, and got out of there as soon as I could. And she kept calling, and every time she called, I would go back and I'd take my wife. Hi, and you want to come along and see you. How you doing? You know, this kind of ended the phone calls fairly quickly, you know. But, you know, you have to think ahead. You have to think proactively, uh, or else it's not just your reputation. It's the reputation of saints and martyrs and apostles and teachers and priests and deacons. You know, it is the reputation of the body of Christ. As God's favorite children, you must be like him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.